0: How about an open eyes prayer. Just look up. Say, Lord, would you meet me in this place? Lord, would you meet us in this place? And Lord, through your word, would you bring about some change in my life so I can look more like you, Jesus? And Lord, help us to see the things that are unseen. Sometimes we focus too much on this world. And Lord, help us to see what's going on in your spirit and through your spirit. And Lord, may we be all about helping others to see you. And Jesus, may we be all about your glory and not our own. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake and everybody in the place and online said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Conejo today. And... uh, I'm, I'm excited to continue on in 2 Timothy, and I've been learning a ton. I don't know about you, but as I've, this always happens for me. When I get ready to speak, when I get ready to preach, I feel like I'm, I'm getting into the passage for us, but it's like a lot of it's just for me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting out in my backyard, and the birds are singing and reminding me to feed them. And, uh, and I'm sitting there uh, spending time in God's Word in the mornings, and it's been going pretty deep. Um, and, and so we're going to continue on in 2 Timothy, but, but first I wanted to say a word about last week. Last week, as I mentioned, there were a few miracles happening, and we got to say farewell for now to a good friend of ours, Michelle Telfer, who's been one of our teachers on Sundays and has been part of our community groups and et cetera. But... If you want to stay in touch with her, I don't know how she got this, but intheword.com, she has that. Like, she could sell that for millions. <laughs> anyway, intheword.com is how you follow up with Michelle Telfer, and uh, as of today, as of last night, she's doing really well. And uh, who had updates on her in our prayer time? Kathleen. So if you want to know more, talk to Kathleen about Uh, about how Michelle is doing. But Michelle, if you're watching, we are missing you and cheering you on. Uh, As we study 2 Timothy, a couple of big themes so far we've noticed. Courage in the face of adversity. Uh, The gospel. What's the gospel all about? And Last week we spent time on what is the pure gospel? How do we not subtract from it? How do we not add to it? And then a big theme in 2 Timothy is mentoring. So we have Paul passing on to his spiritual son, uh, all of these lessons about how to lead well, how to not give up, and how to finish well. So Paul is finishing his race. Timothy is starting his race. So a big theme of what we're going to be talking about is how do you finish well in a world where so many people don't. So today we're going to read the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. So it's a bunch of verses, but it's a powerful section. So I want to ask you to all stand with me. As, we, as I read God's word, and you can follow along, starting in verse fir, uh, 15 of Second Timothy 1. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, Onif- that's right, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should uh, should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Notice that phrase, reflect on what I'm saying. Ask God to give each of us insight into what Paul is saying to Timothy through the Spirit. Verse eight, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. The gospel is not just about Jesus. It is him, and it's him raised. That's what it is. Verse 9, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Amen. You can be seated. So let's talk about that first section. Everyone in Asia has uh, abandoned me, has deserted me. So Asia that he's talking about is not Asia that we see on our globes and on our maps now. It's uh, a section, a territory uh, on the left side uh, of Asia Minor, which is Turkey. So that's the area that he's talking about. Incidentally, the seven churches of the book of Revelation are all in that area. And so he is saying, everybody, all those who I thought were on my team, all those I thought I discipled, all those who were leading the churches in all these cities, they've all deserted me. Now, is that true? Timothy hadn't deserted him. Luke hadn't deserted him. There are a few others that had not deserted him, but it sure felt like it. So Paul was just giving a little, a little woe-is-me update of There are a lot of people walking away. But the same exact thing happened to Paul's master, Jesus, right? So a whole bunch of people walked away from Jesus when things got hard. And then others stayed the course. Same thing happened for Paul. Same thing will happen in in our lives, too. There will be people that we think are on the course, they're doing great, and they just fall away, they walk away. That's just, that's part of human nature and part of the spiritual life. Um, and I think it's interesting that there's just this single line in all of Scripture for Phil and Hermogenes. They walked away, they deserted me. And it just, I just, that stopped me in my tracks. I was like, they're not in Scripture anywhere else. Their claim to fame is they blew it, they gave up. So, so just, just think about you. What if you had one line in the Bible? What if your life was boiled down to one statement? What would you want it? I'm serious. What would you want it to be? Not, right? They gave up. They ran away. They deserted their mentor. They deserted the Lord. May, may, may that not be true of any of us. Amen. Now we're going to go on to 2 Timothy uh, 2, uh, verses 3 through 7. Some really powerful metaphors for our faith. This is where we're going to camp out today. And, and I want you to notice, especially, one big theme, and that's faithfulness and perseverance, it seems to be just all through this. So, how many of you have served in the military before? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand high? Okay, would you thank these people for their service to our country? And I know we have some others that are, that are out there watching. Uh, Melissa I know served and, and her husband as well and some others. Um, how often, those of you who served in the military, were you given orders and you didn't know why and you didn't know what the result would be? How often? Right? So why did you follow those orders? Were you nuts? Right, often, very often, you didn't know why, and you know what, and sometimes there was a reason why you didn't know. But I feel like in our in our Christian walk, sometimes we're like, "Lord, why?" And He's like, "Well, because I said so, and because I know better than you, and because I'm the Creator of the universe, and I saved your soul, and you owe me everything, and I know what's best for you, and just go do it." Right. But sometimes we want we want to know the whole backstory, right? And and I feel like this is a good metaphor for our Christian life, where there are times when we follow the Lord and we don't know why. And sometimes he will show you things to do, people to talk with, decisions to make, and you're like, really? And he'll say, yeah. And i are like, okay. And later on, you find out why. But often, he does not show me why before I take action. And that's a great part of this metaphor. If you're a Christ one, your commanding officer is who? Christ, right? That wasn't a trick question. And so you follow his orders rather than what the culture says. That can be unpopular, that can be difficult, that can be counterintuitive. Uh, I was thinking about uh, um, another picture in my mind uh, this week. Battleships and cruise ships are very similar in some ways. They can be the same size, Uh, they can carry some of the same numbers of people. They have very, very different purposes. Is that perp-i if it's plural? So the cruise ship is there to make your life more comfortable. The battleship is there to go do a mission, to accomplish a task, to keep people free somewhere, right? And it's not necessarily comfortable to be on the battleship, right? But it's pretty purposeful to be on the battleship. Now, I think some lives are more like a cruise ship than a battleship. I think some churches are more like a cruise ship than a battleship. Now, which one would you choose? If it was just up to you, would you choose the cruise ship or the battleship? Maybe 10% of us would be like, battleship. But 90% are like, buffet line. Yes, that's good, right? But if we look at Scripture, we're called to be more on the battleship than on the cruise ship. We're called to be part of Christ's mission to rescue a hurting and lost planet. And so we are on mission with him. He's a missionary God who sent his son to save, who sends us to save. So it's not about us going through the buffet line through life. Now you can do that, but the the problem is at the end of your life, you're going to say, what have I really accomplished? I have not been part of his mission that I was called to be part of. And, and we will feel like we have blown it and not made the most of every opportunity. Um, I, I, I got to tell you this. I was out on Westlake Lake on Friday. Sometimes I, get, I have a friend that has a boat. So sometimes I get out on the lake just to clear my brain. I didn't even catch any fish, I didn't even try. But I just got out there with, with my Bible and with my phone and just played some worship music. And I got out there and I decided to listen to some scripture while I was out there driving. So I listened to 2 Timothy, and that was awesome, and then I got into James a little bit, and I was listening to some words of James that were like m- just mind-blowing in their context. So I'm out on Westlake Lake looking at these beautiful homes, looking at you know, everybody who's got it together, and then these words happened. Woe to you who are rich. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. And I just felt like, I didn't feel like this big judgment come over me of like, i got to go preach to everybody and tell them they're wrong. I felt like it was a picture of our culture that if our goal is that, if our goal is comfort, if our goal is the nice house on the lake and to relax by the pool, I was like, whoa, James is saying, huh, uh woe to you. You have saved up wealth in the last days. You've made yourself fat for the slaughter, he says. And I feel like as Christians, we can be lulled into this where our goals are the cruise ship and our goals are the putting our feet up by the pool rather than saving lost people and being part of what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. Amen, Len? You guys can join Len in saying amen occasionally. So... So I had a question in my mind for for me and for all of us. Are we concerned, are we more concerned about making the gospel relevant to our lives? Or are we more concerned with making uh, our lives relevant to the gospel? Because sometimes we're like, well, let me read God's word and see how it fits in with my life. No. Let me read God's word and see how my life fits in with his plan. That's the right goal. But our culture would... help us fall asleep and, and be Christians, nice people, right, who answer the right, we check the boxes on the surveys, like, yes, I follow Jesus, yes, I go to church, yes, I've been baptized, but we can fall asleep in having the same goals as the culture around us. Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom. Um, I don't think we do that very well as American Christians sometimes. When I visit friends in Nepal, when I visit friends in, in Uganda, when I visit friends in Mexico, they're far better at this than we are. We've been blessed with so much, and that blessing comes with a cost. It also is pretty uh, distracting at times from, from our focus on him. So, um, and just so you know, I, I'm not a socialist. I, I didn't wake up this morning thinking I'm going to ruin everybody's life. I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm reading God's word and I'm allowing God's word to read me. And I hope you're allowing God's word to get into you and make some changes. So Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier. So the question is, have I endured any hardship? Have you endured any hardship? Um, Because if our life is really his, we will endure some hardship. And if we're not enduring any hardship, then I have to say, maybe I'm too much part of the culture and and I'm not taking any heat for, for following Jesus. In John 17, Jesus said, they're not of this world, talking about us and his followers, even as I am not of it. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So, we're not supposed to run away from the world and sing Kumbaya together and be a little holy huddle. We're called out from the world in order to become soldiers who are trained to go back into the world to rescue people from enemy forces. If, if we've done the first part of that and we've retreated from the world, and now you know, we're going to have our own schools and our own neighborhoods and our own shopping platforms and our own music and our own everything, and we stay there, we're not accomplishing the mission. The enemy wins because we haven't re-engaged with the culture as soldiers to rescue lost and hurting people. Amen. Okay. Um, Okay, where are we now? So, So a question for each of us is where do we get our orders from? Do we get our orders from Christ? Do we get our orders from the culture? Or do we get our orders from our cravings? And yes, that was alliteration. They all started with C. But where do you get your orders from? Do you wake up in the morning going, what do I feel like doing today? I'm going to do that. Or do I say, do I wake up in the morning saying, what's everybody else doing? I'm going to do that. Or do I wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, what do you have for today? What's on, what's on the agenda? What's on your agenda? That's where we need to be, taking our orders from our commanding officer, not from how we feel and how my next-door neighbor feels and what's going on on Twitter, and right? That just can take us way off track really fast. Uh, I love the Marines' motto, Semper Fidelis. Do you know what it means? Always faithful. Always faithful. And, and it means to God and country and to the service. And I, I think that is a great motto, for Christians, to say, how could we be always faithful to him, not faithful to our cravings, not faithful to our culture, but faithful to our commanding officer? Amen, Ed? Okay. Second Timothy 2, 3 through 7 has another picture, and that is of an athlete. How many of you have ever trained for a race in your life or an athletic uh, competition? Even when you were seven, raise your hand. Okay. Um, Were there days when you did not feel like training? Jeremiah, I wish Christina was here. (laughs) So there are days when you wake up and you're like, oh, not today, right? But if you have a marathon coming up in a month, not today isn't really one of your options. There's got to be something that you can do. And, And there's something to this where there are days in our Christian life when we're like, oh, not today, right? And that doesn't mean that I'm super religious, and I whip myself on the back like the monks used to do, and I make, I, you know, make myself go through because I'm going to be so religious. It's not like that, but there is a, a discipline factor in our discipleship and our following of Jesus where we say, it doesn't really matter how I feel right now. What can I do to tune in with the Lord? Because there are days when I feel grouchy, and there are days when I feel great. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like always. So, so he's there waiting for us even when I'm feeling a little grouchy. And so how do we have this discipline, this ongoing training in our lives so we're ready for what he wants to do in and through our lives? And, and I mean, what do you do when you don't feel like it when you're training? You do what you can do. So I, I have a notoriously, my, my back goes out, it's weird. It's funky. Thank you, Ed, for praying for my back. So there, I have issues. We all have issues. My issue is my back sometimes. So I listen to my back, and I also listen to, Lord, what do, I, what, what do you want me to do about it? And I also listen to, who do I want to be in 20 years? So I take all those into, into factor, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to go ride my bike. I'm just not going to ride as far as I would, because my back hurts. But I'm not going to sit on the couch, because i got to do Something. And I feel like that, that's a discipline that we can have in our spiritual life, too, where we're like, maybe I don't feel like fasting for three days. but Maybe I can fast lunch. Maybe I don't feel like reading all of Second Timothy because Pastor Kirk said I have to. But maybe I could listen to a chapter while I'm driving to work. Maybe I just keep this discipline going and just think about what it would be like if you were an athlete And and you needed to be in training, because we are in training. And and it doesn't mean that you don't get to heaven unless you train. It means that you're less effective for the kingdom if there's no training happening. Does that make sense? So the word that Paul uses here is not a weekend warrior. It's a professional athlete. So he's talking about the man or the woman who's going to win the race, the one who is charging forward for the prize. And he says, that's what you should be like. You shouldn't be like, well, that's somebody else. They're the professional Christians. You know, they get paid to be good, and I'm just good for nothing. It's not like that. We, we have to be willing to lean in and say, Lord, how do you want to use my life? How do you want to train me so I can be useful in your hands? And it says it must be won by the rules. What does that mean? It's the same word as law. It's interesting, the word that he chose. Uh, how many of you watched the Olympics in Tokyo in 2021? Anybody? So I watched our 4x400 mixed relay, right? Men and women, and and it was the semifinal or something, and we won, and then we got disqualified. Did you did you watch this? So Bella and I were watching it. We're cheering. We're like, oh, we're gonna win, we're gonna win, and we won, and they cheered, and they're so excited, and then they're like, mm. so that was a picture of them when they just found out like were disqualified. They got disqualified because one of the girls was lined up here, and she was supposed to be lined up here. And so later on, they appealed it, because they're like, we don't know what. what happened was one of the officials put her in the wrong place. So, so they got reinstated after being disqualified, and they ended up getting bronze, not gold. And I think that had to do with them going like, what the heck was that all about? So it took their mind completely out. But I think it's a good metaphor of we compete by the rules. How do we know what the rules are? We say, Christ, how do you want me to live my life? Well, I'll show you. Okay, well, how can I live my life possibly? Through my Holy Spirit, he says. And so we don't try to do it on our own. We listen to the author of our faith, the author of our salvation, and we say, help me to live my life according to the rules. It doesn't mean that it's a whole system of do's and don'ts and this and that. It's more about, what's the life you want me to lead? How can I lead that without obstacles, without disqualifying myself along the way? Right. That's what it's really all about. So focus and discipline are very necessary for our faith. And, um, and at the end of 2 Timothy 1, remember we read about those two people who fell away. They did not follow along. They did not have discipline. They did not stay faithful. And may we not follow that example. But in contrast, I was looking in the Old Testament, and in Isaiah 50, this is a, this is a chapter that's all about the suffering servant, which is who? Jesus. So this is, this is 1,000 years before he'd be born. And, uh, and wait, 700. 700 years before he'd be born. And so Isaiah is talking about the Messiah coming, and he's going to be a suffering servant. And this is where there's a really famous phrase that you might remember. But it says, I have set my face like flint. And this is Jesus setting his focus on the cross. And you see it in the Gospels where the disciples are like, don't go there. And he's like, I'm going there. And, 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 and uh, I think Max Lucado said, nails didn't hold Jesus to a cross, love did. Right. And, and if you ever saw the, the Passion of the Christ movie, there's this beautiful scene of Christ crawling towards the cross, not away from it. So he set his mind on that once he started his ministry, even before that probably, where he's like, that's where I'm going. And I feel like that's a great example to us of, we need to follow his example of being fixed on the prize, being fixed on the future, being fixed on our calling in our lives, rather than wandering and wandering through life. And he can be our example. Okay, so number three, the last picture is a gardener, a hardworking farmer. How many of you have had a garden? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have had a successful garden? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> Less hands. That's weird. So gardening can be hard because it takes time. And certain crop, you know, have you ever read the seed packet and it says matures in 40 days? They lie. It never matures in, for- like, whose garden is that? So, so I want to show you a picture from, from uh, July. So this is from my garden in our side yard. And I had a few days where I was literally just like carrying baskets of stuff. And I'm showing, I'm so annoying to my wife and kids. Look, look, and they're like, I know, I know. Like, no, look, look what we grew in our, yeah, whatever. But it was exciting to me. So I finally got grapes. So I don't know if I've told you about grapes before, but five years ago, I brought grapes on a Sunday morning to Caneo Church, and I showed you um, bare root grape trees, and I interviewed Peter Pavia, who's a, uh, a vine dresser, right? And so I said, what does it take to grow these and trim these, and we talked about John 15. I took them home all excited, and I planted them, and one died. So I had two left, and they had no grapes for three years. And I was so angry and disappointed, and I thought I had a green thumb, and I would literally talk to the grapes. I'm like, really? This is all you got? So last year, I got one and a half bunches. That was it. Like, probably 70 grapes. A little teeny, like, worthless, right? And so I was like, okay, I'll keep you alive. <laughs> this year, 35 bunches. Something changed. And, and I think what changed is it took time. The root system had to build. I had to do my part correctly with trimming. And, and, and I think all of the challenge that I, I talked to them about, they finally were listening. <laughs> but sometimes gardening takes daily effort and time and keeping the rats away and the squirrels away and the everything out. And it's just an ongoing process. I mean, I was out there every day for 20 minutes doing stuff in the garden in order for good things to happen. And, and this, that's why this metaphor matters. How How well does a lazy farmer do? Do you guys know any lazy farmers? There's something about that, right? I mean, a farmer often is up before dawn and they're out doing their thing before any, any of us have even thought about waking up. That's just part of the lifestyle. And when it's harvest time, you know what they do? They go 24 hours a day if they have to because that stuff's got to be done now. There's no waiting. It's not like, oh, I'll get to that next week. That's not, a, that's not an option. I remember being with the Pavia's two seasons ago. It was a really hot August. And we had to harvest grapes in the middle of the night. So I think we started at 11 p.m. with headlamps on, and we kept running into spiders, like right you know, at the headlamp, you're like, wow! But, but it was so fun being out there in the middle of the night and there's like Italian opera music on, and we're up there with headlamps harvesting grapes. It was, it was a great memory, but it was hard work doing that. And, and I think that's, that's why we have these metaphors of, it, it's not easy It's not comfortable, it takes perseverance, it takes faith, it takes faithfulness to be a Christian, to be a Christ one. It's not checking off a box and then putting the card in my back pocket in case things go poorly, I can go to heaven. That's that's really not the model. Now, I'm not talking about a life of works and you have to earn your way into heaven and only 100,000 people are going to be there, you better be one of them. That's a total overreaction. What it is, though, is understanding how saved I am and what that means. And I'm grateful, and I'm thankful, and I want to live my life to share the goodies with others. And, and so I, I think it was Augustine said, I'm just, I'm just a beggar who found bread. And so I want to go to other beggars and go, it's not about me, but come with me. I'll you where the bread is. Are you starving? Come on. I think it's a great metaphor for our lives. But if we are full of ourselves, full of our culture, full of all the distractions, we're no longer the starving beggar who's telling our friends about bread. Does that make sense? Okay, Right on. Um, So let me talk about one one last picture of this. Is uh, I went to a friend's memorial service uh, last week, Matt Clapsaddle, they called him Clappy. Some of you heard about him, but he was a, um, a Ventura City fire uh, a rescue guy. He was an ocean rescue, paramedic. He was the guy that drove the back of the fire truck, you know, that, that guy. And, and it was pretty neat to hear the, the honoring stories of him and his faith and his commitment to the Lord and his commitment to help people and rescue people. He was willing to do anything to rescue somebody. But there, was, there were all kinds of funny stories about how chatty he was. And they used to have to turn, I don't know, did you know Matthew? So they, they used to have to turn him off. Because they're in, you know, the hook and ladder is what we would call it. But they would turn his mic off so they, he could hear them in the back, but they couldn't hear him. Because he kept all the time doing this. And so they called it the clappy switch. And they would turn him off. But all these stories were great, but, but I thought what, what came out was two things. His faith in Jesus was obvious to everybody. And his diligence and hard work was obvious to everybody. I mean, every single person talked about it. And so he would mentor, we'll talk about this more in a few weeks, mentoring, but he would, he would talk to the rookies who just came in, and he had one piece of advice, do the work. And then he would leave. And they're like, what does that mean? And then whenever somebody was struggling, whether it was a superior or a peer or a rookie, he would say, do the work. I think that is like what Paul is saying to Timothy, do the work. And I want you to get others around you who are going to tell people to do the work, not because it's going to save you from hell, but it might save somebody else. Right. Right? So um, I think that's a really good thing that I want to take away from the life of, of Matthew Clapsaddle. Right on. The same three pictures are in 1 Corinthians 9. So Paul lays them out there again, and he talks about the soldier and the guy who plants the vineyard. And then he talks about, and I love what he says here, he adds some detail about the athlete. He says, do you, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now look at this. They do it to get a crown that won't last. So your friends who are triathletes are doing great stuff. That doesn't last. But when we run this race, when we are focused on the Lord, we get something that lasts. We get to be with him forever. Okay, so, so what about you? Think about the things that we've talked about, the three pictures, And think about yourself as a soldier. Do you have trouble taking orders? Some of you, that's a personality quirk. And you're like, hmm, right? I have trouble listening to what the Lord wants me to do without asking way too many questions. And say, Lord, help me to be a good soldier. I want to be a good soldier. I don't want to be a pain. I I don't want to be someone that is always asking why. Help me, Lord, to follow you and to trust you. And if that's you, just just admit that and pray that right now and say, Lord, help me to trust you. Maybe you are uh, like this athlete who needs help with daily training. Maybe you are not disciplined in your spiritual life, and you're like, yeah, I read the Bible once, and I pray when things are bad, and I went to a community group, but I didn't like it. I, I would say the Lord wants to connect you with his people and connect you tighter with him, through some spiritual disciplines. Why is that? Not so that you'll make it into heaven, but so that you'll be some good to others, so that your life can be effective and you can be uh, an effective tool in his hands for his glory. Right on? Okay. And if that's you, if you're like, Lord, I just need some discipline in my life, pray right now and say, Lord, remind me. Lord, wake me up early. Have you ever had that where you wake up at 5 in the morning and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm up too early. And then you're like, well, at least I'll, I can pray. Sometimes he, he will meet with us in that way where if we don't carve out the time but we're willing, he will help you carve out the time. And maybe you're more like the, the, um, the impatient farmer and you're like, man, I, I have trouble waiting. I have trouble persevering. When things get hard, I bug out. And the Lord wants to give you perseverance. And just say, Lord, help me to have stick to itiveness. Help me to trust you and to push through until the harvest, right on. to not give up. Amen. So I want to share one last thing with you. Um, can I push my luck for five minutes? Are you sure? Anybody? You can leave now if you need. No, I'm just kidding. Rick's, Rick's leaving. Okay. So 2 Timothy 2, these next three verses are really interesting, but. Verses 11 through 13 are a song from the early church. And we don't have much of this recorded, so this is really special. But it says, here's a trustworthy saying, and notice the theme of perseverance and faith and faithfulness. It says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And I wish there was a little but here because it helps me understand it. Because the first half is about the faithful person. The second half is about the unfaithful person. But if we disown him, he will also disown us. Which sounds harsh. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Now this is a quirky passage. A little difficult to understand, but let's unpack it for a minute because it has a lot to do with faithfulness. Dying. Dying is part of living as a Christian. Dying to who we used to be. And some churches don't talk about that very much, but it is all over scripture. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Paul talked about, I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but he lives in me. If we're not willing to die to ourselves, we're not really following him. That's a big piece of this. Enduring. It's not supposed to be easy to follow Jesus. When things get hard, sorry I scared you, but it's not supposed to be easy. And sometimes we're like, man, it's gotten really hard. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And and in Timothy, in the next chapter, it says anyone who wants to lead a, a life, in, a holy life in Jesus, will face persecution and trouble. It, it's going to happen. And, and so it's not about will we have to endure it's are we going to endure if you feel like it's shocking and it's surprising and it's difficult talk with it amongst yourselves and say lord how do we get through this together if you're having trouble getting through it it could be that you're trying to do it alone and that has a lot to do with what jonathan was talking about earlier if you have people around you you can endure better disowning and this is the same word as denying Now, think about this. It says, if we disown him, he'll disown us. Did Peter disown Jesus? Yes. Was he restored? Yes. This is not a death sentence. But this is the person who says, I want nothing to do with Jesus. And this is not unkind. This is not mean. This is Jesus saying, you don't want anything to do with me. I'm going to give you what you want. It's actually loving to give someone what they want even if it's not to love you back. That's interesting. And in fact, Jesus said, Matthew 10, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown him before the Father. So Jesus did not say that to be mean and ornery. He said, that's just how it works. If you don't want me, then I'm not going to make you be with me. Okay, Um faithless is the last one even if we are faithless he is always faithful to us he is always faithful to himself to his character to who he is he can't not be himself and so even if we don't seek him he always seeks us even if we are faithless to him he is always faithful to us will we blow it yes will he blow it never I think, I think a great picture of this is the prodigal son, where the prodigal son screwed up in every way possible. The father was always waiting, always faithful, always ready. And eventually the prodigal son went, you know, I'm being stupid. I should go back there. And the father's like, I know. Come on. And that's a picture of what, what these verses really mean. So I want to ask the band to come on back up. And and the challenge for each of us is to be full of faith, to be faithful. And literally, that word is pistis, which is the word faith. And it means to be loyal, and it means to be reliable. And so for me, I want to be more loyal to the Lord. If there's any chance I have to make him look good, if there's any chance I have to defend him, if there's any chance I have to look out for his glory, I want to take it. And, and if, there's, if there's any way that I can show myself reliable to him, to you, to, to my brothers and sisters in faith, to those who don't know him yet, I want to be that. Amen. And I hope you do too. So, so I feel like that last little song in the early church, I think it's supposed to scare us a little bit. Because if our faith is all about ourselves and it's like, I just want to save my own skin... I want to do things the way I want, I want to call all the shots, then I should read those verses and go, "Woo!" But if I want to love Jesus and my my life be invested in Him, then those verses are encouraging to me because I get to live with Him, I get to reign with Him, and I get to help others to do the same. So let's pray and then we're going to sing again. But I I want to ask everybody, just just bow your head for a second and I want to lead you through a prayer about, about this song. Um, that's, that's in those verses in Second Timothy. Lord, we come before you and we're so grateful for you and for your love and your patience. And, and, and maybe, Lord, some of us have not really died to ourselves. Maybe we've partially died to ourselves, but there's some, some stuff from our past that's still alive. We just want to bring that before you right now and ask Holy Spirit that you would clean it up Uh, that you would mop up those areas of our lives that are still a problem and and lord that we would die to who we used to be so that we could live in and for you lord some of us in this room we have had trouble enduring we've been shocked that things have been hard i ask lord that you'd bring comfort to each of those hearts and those lives that have had some pretty difficult experiences especially lately and Lord, help us to have a smile on our face when we think of enduring with you rather than feeling like you've left us alone. Help us, Lord, to picture you hanging on a cross, you aiming towards that cross, your face like flint. Help us, Lord, to have that kind of an outlook on our faith and on our love for you where we're, we're okay facing the difficulty because the difficulty um, is part of life and maybe it shapes us to be more like you. And Lord, maybe some of us have denied you with our actions, with our thoughts, with our words. And right now we just say, uh, we are sorry, we repent of that. Lord, would you purify us of that unrighteousness, of that sin, of that doubt, of that stuff? And we bring it before you and ask that you take it away in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, there, all of us in this room have parts in our lives where we have not been totally faithful, we've not been reliable. Uh, and, and, Lord, we have not been loyal. And I ask, Lord, that you would convict us of that by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be people full of faith and faithful people who point others to have faith in you. Jesus, we love you. Amen.